Shalom Alechem and welcome. This podcast is about living for the God of Avraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov with our whole hearts. So I have titled it, What's the Heart's Focus? Uh, this is Shoshana, aka Firebird for the Avengers, and I'm looking forward to sharing with you what I have been studying. To begin, our relationship with the God of Avraham will always be about our hearts. It has always been about the heart with him in every relationship he had with the people throughout the Bible narrative. Why would God do all the good that he does if he weren't interested in the heart of his people? As parents, isn't it the heart that we really want to connect with in our own children? So it is with the Heavenly Father. So take to heart the brief points of this lesson and let the Holy Spirit, <clears throat> also known as the Ruach HaKodesh, whisper these truths to your heart. <clears throat> Let's begin by saying the blessing over our study today. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam asher bacharbanu mikoch ha'amim ve'natan lanu et torato Baruch atah Adonai noteinah Torah Amen Blessed are you, Adonai, our God, King of the universe, who has selected us from all the nations, gave us his Torah. Blessed are you, Adonai, the giver of the Torah. Amen. We will be reading from Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 34, Mark chapter 10, 17 through 27, Yaakov, otherwise known as James, 4, verses 1 through 6, First Kepha, also known as Peter, chapter 5, verses 5 and 6, and the whole of Michelet, Proverbs, chapter 3. Before we begin, let's explore the cultural and historical settings of Yeshua's surroundings. The spoken language of Israel at this time is actually Aramaic. The letters of Aramaic are the same or very similar to Hebrew. Yeshua is actually Aramaic for Yehoshua, which is translated as Joshua in English. The name Yeshua gave Peter is Kepha, the Aramaic word for rock. Yeshua taught in the common language of Aramaic, but he used the Hebrew when he quoted Torah and any of the blessings given by our ancient leaders. Having said that, let's explore the historic setting of Yeshua's life in Upper Galilee, also known as the Galil. Yeshua started his teachings in this region because it was foretold in the record of Isaiah the prophet, chapter 8, verses 23 through chapter 9, verse 1. But there will be no more gloom for those who are now in anguish. In the past, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali were regarded lightly. But in the future, he will honor the way to the lake beyond the Jordan, the Galil of the Goyim. The people living in darkness have seen a great light upon those living in the land that lies in the shadow of death. Light has dawned. The he mentioned is Yeshua and the light is Torah, as from John chapter 1, verses 4, 5, and 9. The term goyim is most often referring to the pagan nations living outside of Torah. The term rabbi means teacher only in the Pharisaic order. This is a main reason we know that Yeshua was, not, was seen not only as a rabbi, but a very great rabbi, by some, like Nicodemus, for one. It was quite common for large groups of people to be gathered around to hear what their rabbi had to say. 
So we see that a crowd has collected around Rabbi Yeshua as he has been teaching his new students. Most of the time, though, the students met with their rabbi within the walls of their shul, school of learning. People coming together to listen to someone give a lecture or a motivational speech is not an anomaly. How many people spend money today to go hear their favorite speaker or teacher? Since Yeshua did not operate out of a synagogue, he taught wherever he was and for whoever was around him. Yeshua had a great following, but he didn't charge for his teachings. He did several times, however, feed his followers. It was a very great honor to be chosen to be a disciple of a particular rabbi, so there were many men, young and older, looking for the chance to study under a rabbi. When we look at the men that Yeshua chose to follow him, we see a very interesting cross-cut of men in his group. Some were successful businessmen, like Kepha, Peter. Some were construction workers, tax collectors, and farmers. But all of them grew up studying Torah and desired to continue studying the book that made them a peculiar people. This is why it seemed that they dropped everything to follow Yeshua. On this particular day, Yeshua is with his disciples on a hill overlooking the Sea of Galilee. And many people from the surrounding cities heard that Rabbi Yeshua was teaching on the hillside outside of town. Yeshua is discussing what the proper focus is for those who would follow him. He continues dealing with the matters of the heart. He exposes the hidden purposes of a heart that is not totally submitted to him. The three chapters of Matthew, known as the Sermon on the Mount, strike down every selfish tendency of humanity, and the key word is selfish. Yeshua strikes at the heart of selfishness, lack of trust in God's ability to provide and take care of us. There are ten words I found in the Hebrew that have trust as one of the meanings. Leheemim, which means believe, trust, place trust in, rely, or confide. Lev toach, trust, confide, pin one's faith onto. Lease more, rely, trust, depend on, count on, reckon on, support. Emun, faith, trust, belief, confidence, and fidelity. Emuna, or emuna, faith, trust, belief, confidence, religion, and devotion. Neemanut, loyalty, trust, fidelity, trusteeship, allegiance, confidence. Bitachon, security, confidence, safety, defense, assurance, and trust. Omen, trust, belief, faith, confidence, fidelity. Ashrai, credit, trust. Tik, miftach. Confidence, reliance, trust, faith, security, haven. The definition of self is a person's actions or motive lacking consideration for others, concerned chiefly with one's own personal profit or pleasure. For this, we can see that least more addresses the issue that selfishness is not being able to trust another for anything. So let's review that. Least more is rely, trust, depend, count on, reckon on, and support. So lack of trust, least more, in God plays out in various ways. The need to have things around us, the need to have way too many clothes, an inhospitable attitude, or just plain stingy, ungrateful, jealous, and this is just a few. The attitude that creeps out when we do have stuff is pride, which can also be seen as arrogance. 
Yaakov, James, the brother of Yeshua, who was the head over the new sect of Yeshua Center Judaism centered in Jerusalem, addresses this briefly in chapter 4 of his letter to all the Jewish believers, whether born into it or adopted into it. Starting with verse 1, he states, What is causing all these quarrels among you? Isn't it your desires paddling inside of you? You desire things and don't have them. You kill and you are jealous and you still can't get them. So you fight and quarrel. The reason you don't have is that you don't pray. Or you pray and don't receive because you pray with the wrong motive. That of wanting to indulge your own desire. You unfaithful wives, don't you know that loving the world is hating God? Whoever chooses to be the Goyim's friend makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose the scripture speaks in vain when it says that there is a spirit in us that longs to envy? But the grace he gives is greater, which is why it says God opposes the arrogant, but to the humble he gives grace. We need to keep in mind that Yeshua is not speaking with people outside of the knowledge of Judaism, so we need to understand that Yeshua is not speaking of a grace that leads to salvation, but a grace that leads to greater obedience to Torah and its terms of agreement. Kepha touches on this same theme in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5. So let's explore Yeshua's words in Matthew 6, uh, verses 19 through 34. Do not store up for yourselves wealth here on earth where moth and rust destroys and burglars break in and steal. Instead, store up for yourselves wealth in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and burglars do not break in or steal. For where your wealth is, there your heart will be also. <clears throat> Have you ever wondered just how we can store up treasure in a spiritual dimension when we dwell in a physical dimension? This is a paradoxical concept. How we live in this physical level will determine what kind of treasure is collected for us in the Olam Haba, or the next realm of eternity. Yet the Torah tells us exactly what kind of actions here will store up treasure for eternity. Every loving act of obedience to God's Torah instructions is a deposit in our account in the spiritual realm of eternity. Continuing on in this passage, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if you have a good eye, that is, if you are generous, your whole body will be full of light. But if you have an evil eye, that is, if you are stingy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? A good eye is always a reflection of the fruit of loving kindness toward our neighbor. <clears throat> An evil eye is always a reflection of the selfish fruit of the base nature that does not love their neighbor. The next verses, verses 19 through 24, continue. No one can be a slave to two masters, for he will either hate the first and love the second, or scorn the second and be loyal to the first. You can't be a slave to both God and money. There is no way that a person can love and trust in money and still fully trust upon God. Money is a physical level, but God is calling us to the higher level of spirituality that has no limits. Think about this for a minute. When we are made new creatures through faith in Yeshua, we have been removed from the control of this physical plane of existence, so we have no limitations in what we can accomplish in the spiritual plane. If we are still being controlled by the limitations of the physical plane, we have, real, have we really been born from above? 
If our focus is on this world, we have succumbed to the limitations of this physical world. Yeshua said, He whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Well, what did he set us free from? Not God's laws in Torah. He set us free from the physical limitations that control our bodies. If we are truly guided by the Spirit, we have no spiritual limitations. We rise above when we bring our will into alignment with the terms of agreement in God's Torah. As I said earlier, Yeshua strikes at the heart of human nature. This passage deals with the basic need of animalistic self-preservation. Human nature focuses on what can be seen and controlled. The rich man came to Yeshua seeking greater insight, but he went away sad and unregenerated because he trusted in his wealth to take care of him. Let's read the story um, in Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 27 before proceeding. As he was starting on his way, a man ran up, kneeled down in front of him and asked, Good rabbi, what should I do to obtain eternal life? Yeshua said to him, Why are you calling me good? No one is good except God. You know the mitzvot commands. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't give false testimony. Don't defraud. Honor your father and mother. Rabbi, he said, I have kept all of these since I was a boy. Yeshua, looking at him, felt love for him and said to him, You are missing one thing. God, uh, go sell whatever you own, give to the poor, and you will have riches in heaven. Then come, follow me. Yeshua didn't tell him to just have faith in me and just say the sinner's prayer. Shocked by this word, he went away sad because he was a wealthy man. Yeshua looked around and said to his disciples, how hard is it going to be? For people with wealth to enter the kingdom of God. Excuse me. It is easier for a camel to pass through the needle's eye than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. They were utterly amazed and said to him, Then who can be saved? Yeshua looked at them and said, Humanly, it is impossible, but not with God. With God, everything is possible. Yeshua revealed the heart issue of the rich man, lack of trust in God's provision. He didn't yet understand that true treasure is the acts of loving kindness towards others. <clears throat> An interesting note here regarding the phrase so often misunderstood, the cattle, camel through the eye of a needle. The Aramaic word used for camel is gamala, and it has two usage meanings, and one fits much better than the other. We've heard told that there was a very small gate in the wall of the city where a camel had to get down on its knees with all its burden stripped off just to sneak through the gate. But there is no historical facts in Hebrew writings that support this. The other meaning is the one that explains and makes logical sense to support what Yeshua is actually saying. Gemala can mean camel or rope. It is much more logical that Yeshua was using rope in this parable as Although a rope cannot go through the needle eye, the continuity of the example requires a rope in this instant. After all, a rope is just a really big thread. You can find more info like this at uh, https colon slash slash 
www.randomgroovybiblefacts.com slash preserved hyphen with hyphen hyphen pivots, P-O-I-V-O-T-S dot H-T-M-L. And I encourage you to go uh, check that out. It has some very amazing uh, information on that website. So carrying on with the subject of this lesson, the flip side of the human animalistic nature is the spirit nature. This nature looks at life from the perspective of what can be done to bring God glory and serve the kingdom purposes of redemption. This places the focus on eternity and eternal values. What we do in obedience to God's standard of living and for eternal purposes is what will build treasure, wealth, in heaven, which will last forever. Yeshua goes on to say, And why be anxious about clothing? Think about the fields of wild irises and how they grow. They neither work nor spin thread, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his glory was clothed as beautifully as one of these. If this is how God clothes the grass in the field, which is here today, gone tomorrow, and thrown in the oven, won't he much more clothe you? What little trust you have. Yeshua tells us to pray that God would supply our needs, as he says in Matthew 6, 11. When we look at the society around us, we see people wanting to be taken care of. And isn't this what Yeshua is actually saying here? God will take care of his children if they are obedient to his instructions in Torah. However, our eyes have caused greed to grow in our hearts, and we desire much more than we need. Just look around the neighborhood how much of the stuff you see is useful for the kingdom of heaven. How much of it distracts us from the kingdom's purposes. Uh, an interesting note is a kingdom can also be a euphemism for God. Just a little uh, something interesting to broaden our understanding of what it means to say the kingdom of heaven. We've been sold a lie. Actually, I think it's the kingdom of heaven is a euphemism for the kingdom of God. Sorry about that. Anyway, we've been sold a lie. Being wealthy doesn't always prove God's blessing unless the money is being used for God's kingdom purposes, and in that there is no boasting. So we can have all that stuff, but if we say, Baruch Hashem, it's only by God's hand that we have it, then it doesn't rule us. Most people have wealth because they have sacrificed family, friends, and relationships with Yeshua in varying degrees, the fruit of a person's life will reveal whether it is God-centered or self-striving for personal wealth. Rabbi Shaul, Paul, tells us that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. I've always pictured this as the way we treat each other in our race to be wealthy or even famous. But what if it is something as simple as rejecting God's rightful place in our lives as provider? Lack of trust in God's ability to take care of us can cause all kinds of problems. But the bottom line of this lack of trust reminds me that we are told in Scripture, without emunah, faith and actions, it is impossible to please God. Hebrews 11.6 Where do we stand if we are not pleasing God? So, don't be anxious asking what will we eat, what will we drink, or how will we be clothed? For it is the pagan idolaters who set their hearts on all of these things. Your heavenly Father knows you need them all. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, 
which is obedience to his Torah standard. And all of these things will be given to you as well. Don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will worry about itself. Today has enough trouble already. That's verses 31 through 34. Yeshua gives us the cure to our fear in verse 33. But seek first his kingdom. We hold on so hard to the things we have. I can think of several reasons and all of them are selfish. One, fear of not having enough. But the answer to that, Rabbi Shaul set the example by being content in the Lord, whether with or without. Number two, pride. What will the neighbors think if we lose the house? In response to number two, if we lose the house, we are either own up to our own perfidy, if it, is, if it be the case, or we testify that God is taking us in a new direction. It's never about us. Number three, we work too hard to not have something to show for it. Boats, cars, vacations to the best places, nice clothes and jewelry. In response to number three, does it please God to squander the money on our own selfish pleasures? Do we really deserve it? And number four, but God bless me with these things so that people will see how well he treats those who serve him. My response to number four is God doesn't bless us with stuff just because we are so great. If he blesses us, it is for the sole purpose of reflecting his character by blessing others. In this way, we will build treasure in heaven. We need to ask a question at this point. Why are we wanting to build up treasure in heaven anyway? Why will we even need treasure in heaven unless it is to give to Yeshua when we stand before him in that great courtroom of heaven? Another reason is that our good works are the wedding dress we will wear at the great wedding of the Messiah. We have compromised with the world by choosing to live on the physical plane, and now we are caught in the snare of self-destruct, credit card debt, no savings accounts, no money to give for the work of God's kingdom purposes. Instead, we feed the machine of greed, pride, and self-indulgence. However, Therefore, we must humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God so that at the right time he may lift us up. 1 Peter 5, 6. King Solomon gave his son great advice 3,000 years ago as he was preparing him to become king over Israel. Proverbs chapter 3 says, My son, don't forget my teachings. But I say, what was Solomon teaching his son? The Torah of the kingdom of God, of course. He carries on, keep my commands in your heart, for they will add to you many days, years of life and peace. Do not let grace and truth leave you. Grace and truth were before Yeshua was born. Grace and truth are evidence that Torah is in effect. So bind them around your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will win favor and esteem in the sight of God and of people. Trust in Adonai, our Lord, with all your heart. Do not rely on your own non-biblical or worldly understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. Then he will level your paths. Don't be conceited about your own wisdom, but fear Adonai and turn from evil acts, which are disobedience to God's very own holy words. 
This will bring health to your body and give strength to your bones. What did that say? It says that when we lean on God's Torah, it will bring health to our body and give strength to our bones. Amazing, yet so simple. Carrying on. Honor Adonai with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your income. Then your granaries will be filled and your vats overflow with new wine. This kind of obedience will produce much blessing, that of walking in the Torah statutes. So, my son, don't despise Adonai's discipline or resent his reproof, for Adonai corrects those he loves like a father who delights in his son. Happy the person who finds wisdom. Wisdom is a euphemism of, the li of living in the Torah truth. The person who acquires understanding for her profit exceeds that of silver. Gaining her is better than gold. She is more precious than pearls. Nothing you want can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand of mercy and riches and honor in her left hand of justice. Her ways are pleasant ways and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who grasp her. Whoever holds fast to her will be made happy. Adonai, by wisdom, founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the deep springs burst open and the dew condenses from the sky. My son, don't let these slip from your sight. What, what is these? The statutes of God's Torah. Preserve common sense and discretion. They will be life for your beginning and grace for your neck. For, let me read that again. They will be life for your being and grace for your neck. Then you will walk your way securely without hurting your foot. When you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Don't be afraid of sudden terror or destruction caused by the wicked when it comes, for you can rely on Adonai. He will keep your foot from being caught in a trap, which the adversary is always setting temptations before us. Don't you know it? Don't withhold good from someone entitled to it when you have in hand the power to do it. Don't tell your neighbor, go away, come another time. I'll give it to you tomorrow when you have it now. Don't plan harm against your neighbor who lives beside you trustingly. Don't quarrel with someone for no reason. If he has done you no harm, don't envy a man of violence. Don't choose any of his ways, for the perverse is an abomination to Adonai, but he shares his secret counsel with the upright, those who live by Torah standard. Adonai's curse is in the house of the wicked, those who reject God's Torah. But he blesses the home of the righteous, those who act with kindness and justice. The scornful he scorns, but gives grace to the humble. The wise win honor, but fools win shame. So what more can be said? Yeshua said it all when he said, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all the things you need will be given to you. When we stop looking for loopholes to get out of obedience to God's Torah standard and really start following God's kingdom, His Torah instructions, the floodgates of heaven will begin to open up to meet every need. 
So what's the heart focus? If it is not loving Torah and living in obedience to its regulations, statutes, and laws, as King David says in Psalm 119, then we are still the God of our lives and we do not deserve any of God's provision, protection, or promises. Today is the day of restoration. Today is the day to rise to the plane of the supernatural where the limitations of this world have no hold on us. Dear Adonai, Lord of all, show us where we can improve in the area of unselfish thought and service. The world's temptations pull hard at our human nature. Help us not to be self-centered and to truly trust in your gracious provision for what we need to live a life that is pleasing to you. Thank you so much for being all that I need. Teach us to be thankful for every little thing and to be satisfied with what you do provide. Help us keep our eyes focused on your purposes each day so that our lives can be for the merit of Yeshua Messiah. Amen and amen. Shalom, y'all. Have a blessed day. And look for another one soon, another podcast soon. Bye-bye.